Welcome, friends, to the first uh, episode of this second season as we jump into the life of David. Sandy, hello. How are you? I'm well. How are Glad you? we're here doing this. Yeah, yeah, me too. So we are going to begin with the life of David in 1 Samuel 16. And this, this uh, story begins in a time of major transition for the people of Israel. So what, what exactly is happening here? Well, uh, what we know is that God is disappointed in Saul, who is the first king. Uh, he uh, sort of takes it upon himself to make decisions uh, that he really ought to be looking for inspiration from God to make and mm-hmm. doesn't. Uh, this, uh, in, in, Saul's a complicated figure. Uh, in some ways, he's a very powerful, charismatic man uh, who is successful in, uh, in military campaigns. One can see how he was selected first. I mean, Samuel was very involved, and uh, but we also see this, uh, I don't know whether it's a sense of bloated ego or confidence in himself. Uh, time after time, he makes decisions that go against really God's expectations. Uh, this becomes galling enough uh, to the divine uh, that God gives Samuel a sense that it's, a time, it's, a, it's the time for new leadership. And Samuel's not ready for it. The, the way this chapter begins is the, that God actually has to come to Samuel and say, how long will you mourn for Saul since I rejected him as king over Israel? Yeah. And There's he a, goes on to say, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Yeah. Go on. I'm sending you. I'm sending you somewhere new. Yeah. There's clearly a frustration that God expresses, feels and expresses towards Samuel for the go slow approach apparently that he's taking. On the other hand, you can certainly understand uh, Samuel's predicament uh, that uh, they're having some success with Saul, that Saul has tried to make up for his most recent departure from God. Uh, and then Samuel, you know, he's got a little bit of, uh, you know, prophet, politician, priest in him, a lot of it. But how do I navigate? So yeah. one can understand. It'd yeah. be its own separate conversation to figure out what is the cause of Samuel's acting so slowly. Well, talk about it just for a little bit. I do think it's interesting for many of us, we get camped out in the present or even the past. And what I see God oftentimes calling people to is the future. Continue to be willing to be disrupted and trusting that I will continue to provide. And so just like, you know, uh, he was reluctant to move on. Many of us in our own religious life are reluctant to move on because we prefer what's comfortable, what's known, even if we know it's not what's best. And we're not sure of what exactly to do. Yeah. I mean, once I go and anoint, let's say I go forward and find the successor and anoint the successor, I haven't yet gotten instruction from God or anyone on exactly how to inform Saul of that Yeah. and how to dispossess Saul of the power. How do I get from A to B? Right. And and Samuel's clearly feeling that. Samuel's feeling that. He knows it's going to be dangerous to move on, uh, to look towards the next king. And for me, one of the things I've thought through with this story is so much dysfunction happens because of the unwillingness of the people, including Samuel, including Saul, to move on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's To the whole system, the whole nation... Uh, suffers because of this unwillingness to to step into the uncharted new territory. Exactly, new and and it happens for so many reasons. You know, we want to, we, we're comfortable in the present. Uh, we like what we have. Um, we're worried about how to change, uncertain of how to change. 
We don't see the pathway. We may even know we're supposed to, but as you say, uh, oftentimes we don't because we're not certain. We're not sure of it. We're uncomfortable with it. Well, that is afflicting everybody in this story. That's right. So uh, tell me what. So Samuel finally gets off of <laughs> yes. his rear end, so, and he shows up, and he goes out. He's told to go to the house of Jesse. Jesse, and and so I, let's talk for a second about what he finds there and yeah. our first impressions of David in the story. So <clears throat> family is really important. So he, uh, which is which is interesting to me. So Samuel's told by God to go to the family uh, of Jesse in the town of Bethlehem. He's not told the name of the son, but just one of his sons. Right. Uh, it's almost as if God is setting Samuel and us as the reader up to learn a dramatic lesson. Right. Uh, God could have said, I want you to anoint David, son of Jesse, but instead, no, I want you to go to Bethlehem and uh, there will be a man named Jesse and one of his sons will be king. Uh, so it's, I think it's helpful for us to know that Jesse is the grandson of Boaz and Ruth, uh, to kind of just kind of tie that line back together. So Jesse is the son of, uh, the grandson of, of, of Boaz and Ruth and in Bethlehem, the same setting and where that encounter happened, it'll be the same setting where eventually Jesus will, will be born. Um, and so that's, that's also meaningful for, uh, the Christian tradition, um, and so when he shows up, though, it's God sets up this wonderfully dramatic lesson uh, for us. So he shows up and people are a little bit afraid. They ask him, are you, are you here in peace or, or, or do you? It, it's interesting. The, pro, the role of a prophet sometimes was frightening because uh, they never knew what the prophet right, would bring. Right. Maybe judgment. But here is actually a blessing. And so. He asked for Jesse's uh, sons to come out so that they could be consecrated and uh, prepared for uh, inviting them to make a sacrifice together. But the real reason is that Samuel wanted to see the sons. Right. And knowing that God would let Samuel know which son uh, would be the king. And Samuel is like many of us. He sees the eldest son and thinks, surely this is the one. Right. But he's wrong. And God has this great lesson in response to Samuel's inclination, uh, which is, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, this being the old eldest son. Uh, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Boom. That's, the, that's, the, that's a huge lesson in the life of David. Exactly. And... So that forces us then as the reader to, to try to look at these uh, sons and to try to ask ourselves, what distinguishes David among them? Uh, and I think that's worth our paying attention to for a moment. What do we see in David uh, that we don't see in the other? He's not rushing uh, to present himself to be crowned or to be coronated or to be uh, uh, consecrated. Uh, deem something special by this special visitor. He's, no, he stays out with, in the field with his flock. He's a shepherd. Oh, so, that's interesting. So you, the way in which you read it is that he's he's chosen not to come. He's chosen not to come. Oh, I always, I've always read it as in the father said, don't worry about David. He has other things to do. It could be. I mean, the, story, the, be the beauty of reading the Bible yeah. is that uh, in the interstitial places where we don't have direction, we can think a lot of different possibilities. 
But I think uh, David is showing a lot of different things about his heart by not being quick oh, to see. run to, to, the, to the room. So to be, it shows us to be humility. At. It shows humility. Yeah. It shows a sense of duty. It shows a sense of commitment to his task, his work. And uh, let's not kid ourselves. The uh, image of a shepherd has a lot of importance in the Judeo-Christian uh, religious uh, mind and spirit. I mean, uh, shepherd, we have the... We have the shepherd in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. We have the shepherd in uh, Moses is a shepherd. We have mm-hmm. shepherds throughout the Bible. And the shepherd is one who leads his flock and who has all of the duties and the difficulties and the challenges uh, and the metaphor of leading people as he leads his flock or learning lessons. And we learn a lot later in the story. We'll get to David and Goliath next week. But we learn a lot about some of the lessons that actually help him prepare for yeah. leadership. Interesting. Like killing lions and right, bears. Right, right. But um, I think it's very, very important to see his uh, sense of, uh, uh, of responsibility, duty, commitment to the task, humility. Uh, right at the beginning, at this early, these earliest moments. Yeah. So, yeah, the way in which I've always read it is that the father was so dismissive of David <clears throat> that he shouldn't even show up. Let let my other sons be here, but David, you have to you have to stay back and take care of the sheep because someone has to. Which for me, it always painted this picture of this uh, family system. And almost sort of this, like Cinderella. Exactly. Exactly. The glass slipper. She, she's not going to the ball. She's not going to the ball. And he's not either. And he's not either. <laughs> no, that's exactly. I, 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 one thing I love about our coming at it from different points of view is I don't think they're, mutual, they're at all yeah, exclusive. Yeah, that's right. Both of those things are true. He right. is humble. He's very, he has a sense of obligation to do his role. And I also think that uh, David's family system... Uh, in many ways, look down upon him. And this is why God looks at the heart, uh, which is, for me, in many ways, a major theme that runs throughout David's life. Because one of the ways in which we understand David is he was a man after God's own heart. Right. So the same God who sees my heart, I'm after his heart. Well, and that the leader, uh, the person who serves God and represents God, would have these characteristics, uh, in how they live, which is an interest, and it's interesting who they are, how they live, the decisions they make are reflective of the heart, mm-hmm. and yet it's what's in the heart that interests God. In the case of David, it is a person who has those values that David was exhibiting uh, that first time we even become aware of him. Yeah. So in in Oftentimes in religious settings, we talk about the heart in a spiritual sense, but I think some people are coming into this conversation going. Wait, what? <laughs> what? So, could you help us understand uh, from the the Jewish tradition the understanding of when God speaks of the heart? Yeah. What is exactly? Well, the word is, in Hebrew is lev, um, and it's more than heart. I mean, we think of heart. We uh, when we think of the word heart, we think, tend to think of emotion uh, or passion, or passion. Or yeah. passion. Uh, f- to that mind and to uh, the reader of these word, the word in Hebrew, there would have been the idea of heart, mind, um, spirit, the whole uh, identity. Mm-hmm. One's identity is wrapped up in that word love. It can mean mind, for example. Mm. So it's a sense of, I want to look to his inner self 
and see and judge on the basis of that. Not someone who is racing out to impress me. Not someone who has values of uh, wanting leadership or, mm. or, or striving for leadership or showing something on the outside that would be appealing uh, to, to perhaps to man. Mm. But what's appealing to me is what one finds in his inner being, his heart, his mind, his spirit, his inner self. Yeah. And that's really what God is saying that he, uh, the divine wants from David and I think from us. Yeah, so that is still the case. This is a timeless truth when God says uh, humanity has a, a, this inclination to look at the outward appearance, but I am looking at the heart or the core, the core part of someone's personhood. Um, and there's a lot we can learn from that. What do you make of the fact that we're told very soon afterwards, uh, we're told things about his outward appearance? <laughs> right. I never thought that about that. So we're so, told that he's, you, you may have it there, ready, I have it as ready with fair eyes and a pleasing appearance. What does your translation say? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. It says, yeah, don't, don't, don't look at the outward appearance. And the very first thing is, uh, yeah, so uh, Samuel then says, wait, none of these sons have been chosen by God. Do you have any other uh, sons? And then Jesse says, yeah, there still is the youngest. He's tending the sheep. And then Samuel says, send for him because we won't sit down until he arrives. So then David shows up and uh, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. <laughs> well, it's interesting that that translation that you have, and I found this in studying and teaching, it misses the Hebrew word for ruddy. Yeah, um, that's in some translations of... It has uh, it has uh, it in yeah. some translations. Um, and uh, uh, so my question to you would be twofold. Um, why then do we get an account of his physical appearance? And what is it about being ready with fair eyes and a pleasing appearance, good looking, all the various ways we've read this, that we that God would want us to know in His Word? Why? I mean, it's peculiar. Isn't that unusual? I don't know why. Maybe maybe because God knows that we. All right, but what did He look like? What 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 was His features? We needed. Uh, to know more than his humility. Maybe that's yeah, why. Yeah, and why? Why? That's my question would be why. I think so. I don't think this would be here if God wasn't also saying that outward appearance, I'm not looking fundamentally for outward appearance. What's core, what's crucial, what matters the most is what's in his heart, is yeah. what's inside of him. And you see those things by the way he's acting. Uh-huh. Uh, but I also want to stress, though, his outward appearance. Some sages say that it, it's becoming of a leader to have this mixture of ruddiness, which suggests sort of um, a toughness. A toughness. A toughness. Well, ready, ready. Yeah, a toughness, um, maybe ultimately of, uh, of, of, of a military skill. Huh. But that the kindness or the pleasing, the pleasing appearance in the fair eyes suggests a, a kindness and a gentility. So that's also more than just a physical trait. It means, yes. I think it's a physical trait that actually does tell us something huh. about the person. Alternatively, one could see it as, isn't it so that we like a certain look in our leaders? And it's not that they're pretty. 
you know, or that they're handsome. I mean, a lot of leaders that we've had, we would say are appealing as leaders in their look, but maybe not be the prettiest. Yeah. Sometimes the prettiest ones, and we could name some in recent American political history, don't make it for some reason. Hmm. But that people who have this kind of tough look, this yeah. tough but good look, that may there may be a look that a leader should have right. that's important to people. And God is saying both are important. I want the inside of the person, but I want the person to have the look of an effective yeah, leader. That's interesting. Is there any significance? I, I would, I've been taught, and I, I would think this would be the case, that there's a surprise that the youngest was the chosen one. Well, there's a surprise, but we get that surprise so many times. So many times, right. <laughs> so many times. Yeah. I mean, we see the, the younger. I mean, we have, we've had a tradition now all through the Torah uh, of the younger uh, or the youngest or, the, or of the young. But certainly uh, in the case of Jacob, uh, we have the, the younger uh, of the two sons uh, who, has the, who ends up with the legacy. Uh, which was countercultural. The which, which, firstborn would be would typically uh, be the one expected to lead. Yeah, but we have that lesson time and time again. Joseph, he was one of the younger. Jo- ones. Joseph was not the youngest, but was the next to youngest out of know, been, out, out of yeah, 12. twelve. So, yeah. uh, so you have among the younger. Yeah, and then the jealousies. Remember, he was a different mother, right? As well, and so you have all of that going on. But um, we see this uh, movement in the Bible to get away from that social tradition, uh, the cultural tradition of it going to the eldest, which you find in the law, in the inheritance rules. Mm. Uh, you have it in the culture of the time, not just this society, but most societies. And yet there's a, a countercultural theme that runs through this, that God's way may not, God's way is, is through God's way. Yeah. And it may not be through the convention. Right. And in fact, we want you to understand that uh, and be attuned to the fact when it when it really can't be. That's right. So uh, David appears and immediately the Lord says to, uh, says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Rama. What gets confusing, and I know we're, we're not going to get to it today, is what do we make of the fact that God there's a there's a passing of the Spirit onto David, and there's this anointing by Samuel of David, and yet Saul still thinks he's king. Yeah. So is David made king by this anointing? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and it's one for which we don't have a clear answer. <laughs> yeah. In God's eyes. In God's eyes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that is the seminal event. Uh, but how that plays out in the world it is a continuing challenge. And maybe Samuel understood it would be when he was reticent to get it's a going down this challenge. Path. I think also when the youngest brother has had this happen in front of the oldest brothers, as we'll see, not much changes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the question then for the king. Think about this, too, as a further test of who David is. Yeah. How do I wrestle? And I know we're not going to spend that much time with uh, David and Saul, but it's worth reflecting as we do think about their relationship. It's worth reflecting on what does the right, good, good good-hearted leader do who knows that he has this problem? Mm. 
How does he treat the person who still thinks he's king? And yeah. in some formalistic ways is. Yeah. What does the true king, the true leader do uh, relative to that other person as a way of showing God-oriented leadership? Just to, just to have one more question, what is, what is a takeaway from you personally as you consider this story today? Oh, that's a great thing we should do before we end because we were hoping our listeners are doing the same. Um, I, I am into the story. That's my big takeaway. I say, yes, let me learn more about this person. I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm attracted to him. I love the fact that he was not a uh, seeker of power. I love the various uh, attitudes that he brought to, that he's bringing to bear. His sense of duty, his sense of, to his work, to his assignment, his loyalty, loyalty to that, uh, that he was not seeking power, uh, that he was found, and that he, there's something in him. I now want to know what God knows. Yeah. I want to now know about his heart. You're hooked. I'm hooked yeah. into the story is, is, is my main impression. What about you? Yeah, my, the big lesson for this chapter for me is all around the notion of what God perceives. Uh, first is the heart, and that's so countercultural for us, even with my own self. And here we are, we're at the beginning of the year. Many of us are considering our outward appearance anew. Like we're very into working out, getting healthy, and that's actually really good, good that we're doing that. But how am I tending my, my heart? What am I doing to, if that is what God first perceives, how am I developing a heart in which God admires? And then furthermore, how can I look towards the heart of others rather than judging the outside appearance? Um, I had a mentor once said, one of the greatest um, gifts that we can give one another is to delay judgment. We are so quick to put people in a box just by their outward appearance. Uh, and there's a lot of wisdom to delaying that to see Okay, what's who is this person internally uh, and that's something for us to learn how to do um, to, to reflect who God is in many ways I can't see how we could end this conversation better than you just did <laughs> okay well next week we're going to talk about David and Goliath that's a great story yeah 